to ask each of you to do is give a few-minute synopsis of why you believe what you do about the rapture. And Dave, since the pre-trib position is probably the predominant position today, I'd like you to kick off, if you would. Well, John, let me say, first of all, that it's not a simple topic. Uh, Marvin, on page 18, I think in his book, says that the rapture, quote, had to be clearly taught in the Word itself. However, he goes on to write a book with a lot of complex arguments, and uh, in fact, you know, Peter says that there were things very hard to understand in what Paul wrote. Uh, and the Trinity isn't clearly taught in the Bible, so uh, neither, is the, neither is the teaching in the Old Testament that there would be two comings of Christ. You can't find it in the Old Testament. There's not a verse in the Old Testament that says that Christ will come twice. So we can only arrive at that by deduction. Therefore, it, is not, uh, it doesn't fault uh, the rapture bec uh, to say that, well, it's rather difficult because there are many things that are, that are difficult. Uh, and being that difficult, I can't tell you in a few, few minutes very much. But let me give a try. You mentioned the 70... Well, first of all, uh, John, I have to uh, answer to you uh, that nobody heard of this. Um, the Anabaptists, many of the Anabaptists in the 1500s believed in the imminent rapture of, of, of Christ. Uh, coming back immediately to take his church. Uh, but it's it's not really to the point whether the early church fathers, and who are these church fathers? Uh, and Marvin does talk about that. That's one of his arguments against the uh, pre-trib rapture. But the early church fathers, who, who are they? All I'm concerned about is what does the Bible teach? Paul said already in his day all that were in Asia had forsaken him. Most of his epistles were written to correct error that was already in the church. He, From Miletum, he, told, he called the elders of Ephesus, and he said, I know that after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves will men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So it's no surprise that you won't find it in the writings of the early fathers. Am I still here? Yeah, you're still there. I, I heard it quick. Huh? I promised you won't go away this time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned the uh, 70, week, uh, 70 weeks in the final week. The 69 weeks occurred, and the 70th week has been held in abeyance. I believe that it's held in abeyance, and again, this is something you have to take by deduction, but I believe that it's held in abeyance because of the formation of the church. Israel rejected her Messiah, the church was formed, and I believe that that which holds this 70th week in abeyance must be removed before that time clock can start moving again for Israel. Therefore, that's one of the reasons why I place the uh, rapture at the beginning of the 70, uh, 70 weeks. And I think we're going to get into a lot of other arguments. So I've talked probably too long already. Why don't we let Marvin? Sure, Marvin, I would like to do a break if we could first. We're actually right up into it here already. Can we take yours right after we come back from the station break? Sure, here? that'd be fine. All right, this is Steel on Steel. We have an interesting series of debates here for two days, uh, both today, Wednesday, and tomorrow, Thursday. Dave Hunt and Marvin Rosenthal, pre-trib versus pre-wrath rapture. I'm John Luffer. Steel on Steel will be back in just a minute. We're back into Steel on Steel. I'm John Leffer debating. I'm not debating, but we have a debate going today between Dave Hunt and Marvin Rosenthal, pre-trib versus pre-wrath rapture of the church. Dave, I will say I do agree with you about one thing. In Daniel, it said that uh, many of the scriptures would be kept sealed until the end times. Right. And that just because people did not recognize them earlier uh, is no indication that they were not true. All right, Marvin, I promised you your first opening salvo here in terms of pre-wrath. Well, I thank you, John, very much for the opportunity. Uh, let me say 
that before we uh, came on the air, my staff joined me in a time of prayer. And uh, one of the things that I found very interesting was that as uh, my staff prayed for uh, this time together, that the prayer was that the Lord would be exalted, first of all. And secondly, uh, what I heard in the prayers was the recurring theme that the timing of the rapture should not be a divisive issue among believers. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like at the outset of my comments to say that that is my deep-seated conviction that the rapture should not be a divisive issue. Unfortunately, that is often not the case. I think that the rapture issue is exceedingly important. I think the church certainly should deliberate it. I think we can, with uh, passion, plead our cause, but I think it is terribly unfortunate that many are making the timing of the rapture, not the fact of it, divisive. Now, uh, uh, Dave Hunt got a head start on me, not only in his opening few moments, but he wrote a, uh, uh, wrote a review of my book, a brief review, in, uh, I guess, his bulletin almost a year ago. I would simply uh, note that he says that uh, pre-trib wants the dominant belief among evangelicals. Um, that's an incorrect statement. Pre-trib has never been the dominant position among evangelicals, not in the 20th century and not in any century. It has been the dominant view of a particular segment within evangelical Christianity. It has never been uh, the dominant view. He says uh, concerning my book, uh, that is the latest attack uh, upon the, uh, the pre-trip position. The fact of the matter is, I went out of my way to say that this is not an attack. I came from the pre-trip camp. My schools, my fellowship, my associations, my heroes, my heart for almost 40 years was in the pre-tribulation rapture camp. I moved away from it uh, only because I felt the burden of the scriptures forced me to make that, uh, that movement. While I disagreed with uh, some of my pre-trib brethren, I tried to treat them very graciously, and I said that this is not intended to be an attack on the pre-trib position, but to pre present what I view to be the biblical uh, position with regard to the timing of Christ. He said that it was a novel idea. The fact of the matter is the major facet of the pre-wrath rapture was held by the church for the first 300 years. That's very important. I can cite you church father after church father who said, in fact, that the church would enter a very difficult period of time and they would encounter the Antichrist before they were raptured. That may not have been a full-orb theology, but it very clearly is consistent with pre-wrath. It is not consistent with pre-tribulation rapturism. Uh, he says that uh, my basic uh, thesis is that we will escape the last three and a half years of the 70th week period. That is totally incorrect. Nowhere in the Bible do I say that the church will escape the last three and a half years of the 70th week of the book of Daniel or the Great Tribulation. Uh, he says that the uh, early church uh, was definitely watching for the Lord, not for the Antichrist. Well, I concur with that. The early church was looking for the Lord. But the fact that uh, Thanksgiving is next week does not mean I can't be looking beyond Thanksgiving to Christmas. Uh, the fact that I may encounter difficulties does not mean that I'm not looking for the return of the Son of God. Uh, he says if the church must remain on earth to face Antichrist, then Christians would refuse to take his mark or to worship his image. As a result, they would all be put to death. And then he quotes uh, from Revelation. Well, uh, that's absurd. Uh, the book of Revelation makes it very clear that there will be people who will not submit to the mark of the Antichrist. Uh, there, will, there will be an attempt by the Antichrist to kill those who have fled into the wilderness, and he can't get them. 
So we will then go to try to make war with the remnant of the seed uh, throughout the world. Uh, we are told not to fear the one who can kill uh, the body, but the one who can kill the soul. Uh, I find an emotional response without any theological integrity, and it has become an emotional issue, not a theological issue, and I think that's terribly unfortunate for the cause of Christ. Gentlemen, which way do you wish to go from here? Well, uh, Marvin, I, I think that's uh, a little bit ad hominem to accuse me of being emotional. Uh, why, uh, you're not emotional, but I'm emotional. I have no theological integrity. But Dave, theological. Dave, you, the, the issue. Well, what you said, Dave. You I, and I'm and I'm saying it again. You wrote in your CIB bulletin a very bombastic review. You accused me of a lot of things, but you did not deal with the issues that were set forth in my book. None of the significant well, issues were even touched upon. Well, let's deal. Let's deal with the issue. I would like very much to do that. Yeah. For instance, to begin with, I think the the Bible very clearly does teach when the rapture of the church will occur. I don't think it's a speculative matter at all. I think it is very clearly set forth in the Word of God. And, and I think we can inductively and exegetically come to those decisions. All right, Marvin, take a whack at it for about two minutes here. Well, let me, just, let me just start at the very beginning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13, which is one of the most, perhaps the most familiar uh, rapture texts, uh, says uh, very clearly that the Lord is going to return uh, that the dead in Christ are going to be raised, and that we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds. At the parousia, at the coming of Christ, uh, the church is going to be raptured. Uh, you have the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 3:13, and I can take you to a lot of other texts. If you go to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 4, uh, according to the overwhelming majority of pre-tribulation rapture, says that we are now describing events of the 70th week of the book of Daniel. Uh, event after event is, is being discussed in, in verse 14 or 15 and following. You have the Great Tribulation, you have cosmic disturbance, and then you will read uh, very clearly that Jesus Christ is going to return. In verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give a light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, I can demonstrate that the rapture is going to occur, occur at Christ's coming. I can demonstrate that there is a coming inside of the 70th week, or what is commonly referred to as the tribulation period. I would like uh, very much for Dave to show us where there is any evidence of a coming before the 70th week begins. Okay, Marvin, I've read your book very carefully, and I think you've got a number of problems. First of all, uh, you tell us that, as you just explained, uh, the day of the Lord, I'm looking at your chart here, uh, the rapture begins the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's judgment, or you call it the day of the Lord's judgment, uh, but, but you give us <clears throat> all kinds of things that occur. In fact, you say it will be clearly indicated that it's about to occur by these cosmic disturbances. However, the Bible says the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. It says it comes, Jesus said, of his coming at such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man cometh, and he warned the watch and be ready. He said he would come at a time would be like in the days of Noah, when men are eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, they're partying it up. It hardly sounds like you have described events before this coming. You got the white horse seal 
Antichrist increases world dominion, red horse, black horse, war. You've got a famine, you've got pestilence, martyrdom, and, and then you've got these cosmic disturbances. I don't see how in the world that day then could come like a thief when nobody expects it. Uh, furthermore, well, let me, let me respond to all that. Right, all right. Okay. Let me respond to that. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm a biblicist. I must go by what the Word of God says. In Joel chapter 2, verse 31, in Isaiah chapter 13, both major Day of the Lord texts, it very clearly says that there will be cosmic disturbance, that things will happen to the sun, to the moon, and to the stars before the coming of the great and terrible Day of the Lord. I read in Matthew chapter 24 that there will be cosmic disturbance before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I read in Revelation chapter 6 there will be cosmic disturbance before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, if you read Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians, it is not the believers who are going to be caught off guard at the Lord's coming when he comes as a thief in the night. It is the unregenerate world who will be caught off guard at the Lord's coming. He will come as a thief in the night. He will come very similar to the days of Noah. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the flood came, and they knew not. And the point is the unregenerate world did not know that God was about to invade human history with the destruction of the flood. The unregenerate world will not know that Jesus Christ is going to invade history with the day of the Lord's wrath until you actually have the cosmic disturbance, which indicates that his wrath is about to be poured out. All right, Marvin, <clears throat> I don't believe that Jesus is addressing the unbelieving world in Matthew 24. Certainly it's not the unbelieving world that he has in mind in Matthew 25 when he says, As, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. That includes the five wise virgins as well as the five foolish. I can't see anybody slumbering and sleeping at this point in history with all that has gone on. It was to the Christians, to uh, the believers, that he said that at such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, you say you're a biblicist, and you go... Well, I, 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 let me, let me well, respond. Let me just finish. I'm, I'm responding to what you said. You say you're a biblicist, and you go by what the Bible says. I try to do the same, but Marvin, uh, you and I both know that sometimes the Bible seems to say uh, conflicting things, and we have to reconcile it. For example, uh, the, the Pharisees were biblicists, and they said they were going by what the Bible said, and the Bible said that the Messiah would rule on the throne of his father David, and not, what are you doing up on the cross? We've proved you're not the Messiah because you're dead, and even the disciples lost their faith be momentarily because of that. So the Bible not only said that Christ would rule and reign, but it also said that he would suffer and die. Now, you had to reconcile those two things. And the Bible not only says that it would, there would be cosmic disturbances and so forth, the sun will be turned to, to, uh, to darkness and the moon to blood before that great and terrible day of the Lord. It also says that it comes at a time of peace and safety when they're not expecting this judgment. That's part of what he means when he says, as it was in the days of Noah. The last thing the world expected was judgment. It had never seen anything like this. Yet you have this day of the Lord beginning after a great deal of destruction has come upon the earth. And I think we have to somehow reconcile these two. I, I want to respond to that. First of all, the Old Testament very clearly speaks of a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah. One is going to come to die and one is going to reign. They did not understand all the concepts, but they certainly understood 
a, a, a Messiah was going to come and die, and the Messiah was going to come and reign. As a matter of fact, the ancient Jews gave them names. They called them a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah. Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David. Peter says that the Old Testament writers searched concerning the sufferings of Messiah and the glory that would follow. Secondly, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, but, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. He's talking about the day of the Lord. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. That's not believers, that's the unregenerate world that are going to die. As travail upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, and that's believers, are not in darkness that that day, the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do the unsaved others, but let us watch and be sober. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus Christ describes events of the 70th week. He describes the white horse and rider, the red horse and rider, the black horse and rider, the pale horse and rider, the great tribulation, the emergence of the Antichrist. And he very clearly says in Matthew chapter 24, when you see these things come to pass, you know that my return is getting close. Me, so, so the believers will not be caught off guard because there are very specific indicators that very clearly say that these events will, will come to pass before Christ returns for the church. Excuse me, gentlemen, we're up on a break right here now. I know you can't hear the theme music. I have it at this end here. We're talking today in a debate situation between Marvin Rosenthal and Dave Hunt, pre-trib versus pre-wrath. They're not necessarily defending those positions, respectively. Uh, I'm John Luffer. This is Steel on Steel, and we will be back in just a minute. on this one, and I can't even remember what the last thing Marvin said was by the time we yeah, got through the break. Yeah, well, I can remember. <laughs> uh, Marvin, um, you didn't really respond to what I said, but you confused the issue, so let me go back and try to clarify it again. I did not deny uh, the scriptures that you quoted. You, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you. I did not deny that Jesus said there would be signs and so forth and so on. What I said was, that he also, at the same time, Jesus said, and, and Paul seems to indicate, that a situation would be prevailing on this earth that would cause uh, the believers even to sleep. The five wise slept while the bridegroom tarried. That would cause them, Jesus said, at such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Sounds to me like he's saying, you want to know when I'm coming? I'm coming at a time which if you sat down and you looked at conditions in the world around you, you would say, I don't think he's coming now. That's when I'm coming, said Jesus, okay? That's in the, that's in the context of the well, 70th week. Well, let, let me finish. Nor did I deny that the Old Testament says, uh, and you came on like I had denied it, you said, but the Old Testament does clearly teach the suffering servant as well as the reigning Lord and so forth. I didn't deny that. That, in fact, was the point I was making, that you had to somehow reconcile those two. Now, what I'm saying is, I don't find in your book that you really deal with these problems, that you, you reconcile them. And let me say, I think... Do you, want to cite, do you want to cite one for us? I don't, I'm not citing anything. I'm saying I don't find it in your book. I don't find you dealing with this particular problem, okay? Let me just finish. I think that the only way we can reconcile the seeming contradictions about the second coming of Christ is the same way, was the only way it could be reconciled... Uh, 
what the Old Testament said about his coming. You could not possibly put into one time event and into one, uh, one time frame and one event what the Old Testament said about the coming of Christ. You had to conclude, you had to deduce that there were two comings, that he would come once to suffer and die, that he would come again to reign in power and glory. Now, I'm submitting that the only way you can possibly reconcile, and this is what I'm saying, I don't think you really dealt with this in your book, at least I didn't find it, I'd be happy for you to tell me where, but the only way we can reconcile, there are complications, there are seeming contradictions, and I think the only way you can reconcile it is about the rapture and the second coming is the same way it would have to be done in the Old Testament. You cannot put into one event and in one time frame what the New Testament says about the return of Christ. He's coming at a time of peace, but he's coming at a time of war. He's coming at a time when people would be sleeping. Even the wise who have oil in their lamps would be slumbering and sleeping. Uh, no, he's coming at a time of such destruction and so forth. In the middle of Armageddon, I believe Jesus is coming back at that time to rescue Israel. You couldn't possibly be slumbering and sleeping. So I think the only way you can reconcile it is there are two comings. He comes at the beginning of the 70th week for his saints, takes them up to heaven. He comes at the end of the 70th week with his saints to rescue Israel. I don't think you can reconcile it any other way. Okay. <clears throat> May I respond to that, John? Uh, please go ahead. Okay. Uh, first of all, I, I don't think you use the Old Testament as an illustration of the fact that they, they saw something of the sufferings of Christ, the glory that would follow, but they didn't understand it fully. The reason they didn't understand it fully was because that was a preliminary revelation God promised in Jeremiah 31 that there would be a new covenant or a new testament. And when we got the New Testament of completed revelation, we certainly could understand the events related to the first coming of Christ and the glory that would follow in the second coming. We now have a New Testament. We have a completed revelation. And God has given to us in that book all that we need uh, to understand his truth as it's presented to us. Secondly, uh, Dave refers to uh, contradictions unless you say there are two second comings. Uh, I submit to you that simply isn't true. The only reason there are contradictions is because men have decided that there are two second comings. Uh, that simply was not believed in the early church. It was not believed through church history. Uh, that, in fact, can historically be documented to have begun about the year 1830. It started in England. Uh, it, was, uh, it was advanced by a leader of the Plymouth, Plymouth Brethren and a leader of the Pentecostals. Uh, it didn't come to the United States until the 1880s. There was great division when the concept of two comings uh, for the Lord's end-time events was postulated. Uh, it got popularized more than anything else by the second edition of the Schofield Bible in 1917, which, because it was one of the early Bibles to have a lot of notes in it, to be annotated the way it was, was almost viewed as being, uh, the notes as being comparable to the, script, the scriptures themselves. And a lot of people, well-intended, people who love the Lord, bought into the concept of a first coming before the 70th week begins, and then a second coming seven years later with the church. I would simply say to you that if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you look at Matthew chapter 24, if you look at Mark chapter 13, if you look at Luke chapter 21, if you look at the first and second Thessalonian epistles, uh, if, you, if you look at the book of Revelation, Second Peter, there simply is, are no indicators anywhere. Uh, the word uh, parousia, 
the primary word related to the coming of Christ is used of Christ 17 times every time it is used in the singular. And I would simply say you can demonstrate that there is a coming inside of the 70th week. You cannot demonstrate from any scripture anywhere that there is a coming before the 70th week. The contradictions come about by those who want to postulate two different second comings, one to rapture the church another seven years later. The Bible simply doesn't say that. Early church history did not teach that, and it is not largely held throughout the world. It is largely an American phenomena of this century. It is not held by the overwhelming believers in Russia, the overwhelming believers in China, the overwhelming number of believers in Israel, the overwhelming number of believers in Europe. It is largely an American phenomena, and it started in this century, and I submit that it has no biblical references to substantiate it. Yeah, <clears throat> Marvin, um, you, you say that the contradictions come because of postulating two comings. No. Postulating two comings, in my opinion, is the only way to resolve these conflicts because it says contradictory things. I laid them out for you, but you didn't, you didn't explain them. Why would we be slumbering and sleeping when the Antichrist has been here persecuting and killing us? Why would we not think Christ would come at all when we've had all of these signs and so forth? He's saying that a situation will prevail on this earth at the time of his coming when you wouldn't expect it. Okay, that's all I'm trying to say. And I, and I disagree with that. The Lord himself said in Matthew chapter 24, when you see these things come to pass, you know that my return is getting close. But Marvin, just a minute. Now, you talk for a long time. <laughs> I don't deny that. What? You're missing the point. I don't know if you're missing it or, or what. The Lord said contradictory things. He said, when you see all these things, of course you'll know. But he also said, I'm coming at a time when you wouldn't even think I was coming and you'll be slumbering and sleeping. And I'm saying that those two things don't, you, you, the only way you can reconcile them is for there to be two comings. Now you say, well, the contradictions arise because of this theory. Well, on page 35, for example, you're speaking of the day of the Lord. And you say, quote, it will be recognized as about to begin by the cosmic disturbances associated with the opening of the sixth seal. Then my question to you is, and it's a sincere question, Marvin, uh, and I'd like to hear your answer. My question is, how can it be recognized as about to come by this great sign of cosmic disturbances when at the same time the Bible says it will come as a thief in the night and you won't recognize it? Now, you say, well, that's in First Thessalonians 5. That's only then believers. I'm saying in Matthew 24, Jesus clearly warns the believers that they could be caught off guard too. Oh, but I agree that believers could be caught off guard because they are going to be non-spiritual believers. If you will read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which in my view are clearly warning the church inside of the 70th week, you will find there are seven different churches, and there are churches that are asleep. There are churches that profess Christ but, but that do not have spiritual discernment. There are churches that will not be prepared. That's why you have warnings to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and in chapter 3. With regard to Matthew chapter 20, 24 and 25, uh, after the Lord teaches concerning the second coming, that nobody knows the hour and the day, he will say very clearly, but you will know the general time period, those who are living in the 70th week, because he says, uh, if you take a look at the fig tree, when the fig tree begins to have tender branches, when it puts forth its leaves, 
you know that summer is near. That was an axiomatic, basic concept to ancient Israel. When certain things happen to the fig tree, you know that summer is getting close. And then he says, likewise, when you see these things come to pass that I have just spoken to you of, you know that a return is getting close. What you will not know is the hour or the day, but spiritual believers will be able to discern the nearness of Christ's return. I noticed that in your most recent book, you open it up by saying that somewhere in the world, the Antichrist, the, uh, the Antichrist is already living, almost assuredly. You say, Bain sensationalism? No way. Well, you are, are simply taking the events that are transpiring in our, our world today, what's happening in Europe, what's happening in the Middle East, uh, what's happening with, uh, with the demise of the, of the Soviet Union, uh, the lawlessness, the drugs, uh, the occult, uh, the New Age, and you are making a determination even now before we ended the 70th week that the Antichrist is near at hand. You're not being deceived. You seem to know that the Lord is getting, his return is getting close. Uh, is it time for a break? Do I have it, a moment? It's, it's basically uh, give you uh, 40 seconds. How's that? Okay. Marvin, as for spiritual, spiritual people recognizing it, but the non-spiritual wouldn't. I don't think you have to be very spiritual to recognize the cosmic events. Well, that's going to, uh, well, going to be... Marvin, please, you interrupt me. I'm, I let you talk much longer than I've talked. Please go ahead. The sun turning to darkness, the moon to blood, the great cosmic events. Furthermore, Matthew 25, it says, all, while the bridegroom tarried, all slumbered and slept. That seems to me to indicate something other than what you're saying. Well, why don't we head into a break on that one? We're having a debate today. I can tell it's uh, touching some hot buttons out there because the lines for a while there were lighting up. We're not taking calls today. This is a debate situation. Steel on Steel with John Leffler. Our guest, first of all, Marvin Rosenthal from Zion's Hope, espousing a pre-wrath rapture of the church, and Dave Hunt, both uh, espousing a pre-trib rapture of the church. Both of these positions are well known. Uh, before we go into the break, I might throw some comments out to both gentlemen. Uh, I would still agree with Dave Hunt against Marvin Rosenthal that regardless of what the church fathers thought even into this present day, which may be true, it doesn't determine the truthfulness of the situation. Uh, on the flip side, in Revelation it says, Dave, that there are people who go on with their sorcery and their witchcraft and whatever, even when all hell is literally breaking loose around them. So obviously business is going on as usual. And what haunts me more than anything else is the warning from Jesus, pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. We'll talk about this back in just a minute. Back, back into steel on steel. Much as I appreciate our sponsors on days like this, I really uh, almost wish we could sort of uh, take a hiatus from sponsorship because we get rolling there. Uh, Marvin Rosenthal, Dave Hunt with us today debating pre-trib versus pre-wrath. We have a little noise in there from our phone lines, obviously. Dave, I made a comment to you during the break about uh, it's either in First or Second Thessalonians where it says the two conditions are prerequisite for uh, Jesus' parousia. It says, number one, the apostasy must occur, and two, the Antichrist must be revealed. And you said you had a different viewpoint on that. Yeah, uh, John, first of all, I want to go back and respond to what Marvin said just before the break. Great, great. Um, again, we, we, we go around and around on this. Uh, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief, and that it's the, it's the lost, the wicked, uh, the non-Christians, uh, who will be overtaken by a thief. Uh, it clearly says... And, and non-spiritual believers. Yes, non-spiritual believers. That's right. It clearly says they all slumbered and slept. That's a parable. Well, In Matthew 25, you're talking about four okay, parables. Uh, uh, Marvin, I don't interrupt you. Uh, you're, 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 I'm the one that's supposed to be emotional, you know, what you said. Um, when they say peace and safety, First Thessalonians 5, uh, 
I don't see anybody saying peace and safety under the conditions as, as you've laid them out, with all the wars and pestilence and famine and, and so forth and all these cosmic disturbances. I still say that there's a contradiction, and the only way that you can reconcile it is for there to be two comings. Now, you say, well, this is a new theory, and the early church fathers, and you said contemporaries with John and so forth, uh, didn't, it's not in their writings. Never, I, I still say that that's, that's not a point of argument. Uh, what I must go by is what does the Bible say? And when the Bible tells me over and over again, Philippians 3, verse 20, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that unto them that look for him shall he appear. We're not looking for the Antichrist. First uh, Thessalonians 10, I know you're Christians because you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. You say, well, Christmas can come after Thanksgiving, but you don't sit around and wait for Christmas uh, when it's not time and other events have to intervene. So all I'm saying is, regardless of what the early church fathers wrote, the Bible indicates to me that the Christians at that time, in Paul's day, were taught and they were looking. And Jesus, in fact, said in, in, in Luke 12, Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto those who watch for their Lord when he will return. It sounds to me like they were watching and expecting, and if a lot of other events must intervene, then I don't think that that's consistent with it. Now, I should let you respond, and then I can come back to what John asked me later. Go ahead, Marvin. Well, okay. Um, absolutely, the Word of God teaches that we are to be looking. But the fact that we are to be looking does not mean imminence. Uh, imminence, according to those who write and teach on this subject, the overwhelming majority of pre-trib rapturists, say that imminence means the rapture can occur at any moment. That's number one, imminent. Uh, Jesus may come today. Second factor with regard to those who teach imminence is no prophesied events must precede it. The third factor by those who teach imminence is that it is signless. And I would suggest to you that nowhere in the Bible does, does the Word of God ever say that the rapture of the church is imminent, that no prophesied events can precede it, or that it is signless. What the, what, the, what the Bible clearly teaches is that the rapture of the church is expectant. By that is meant the rapture of the church can happen in any generation. The rapture of the church can happen in any lifetime. Therefore, I am supposed to live in the light of the expectation. For instance, the Lord himself clearly told the early church that before he returns, the temple had to be destroyed. Now, there was a very specific event that had to occur before the Lord Jesus Christ returned. That did not occur until 70 A.D. He was crucified around 30, 33 A.D. That means it was a 40-year period. Uh, they were still looking. Paul was looking for the return of the Lord. Peter was looking for the return of the Lord. Even though they knew there was a prophesied event that had to precede it, the destruction of the temple. Furthermore, they were told very clearly that Peter was going to live to be an old man. So Peter had to live to be an old man before the Lord could return. So they lived with the expectation of Christ's return, even though they knew there were prophesied events that had uh, to precede it. The, the very blessed hope of the church, and this is something that Dave took issue with, the blessed hope of the church is not simply that Jesus is coming. The blessed hope of the church is that Jesus is coming, and at that, that very instant, the dead in Christ are going to be raised, and those who are alive are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air when, when 
you, you read of the blessed hope in Titus chapter 2. It is in the midst of this present evil world we are to understand that our blessed hope is that Jesus is coming. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and following, when Peter speaks about the blessed hope, it is in the context of a church that is going through tremendous trials. And what he is saying is you have a blessed hope no matter what happens to you, no matter how dark the night, no matter how difficult the circumstances, when Jesus returns for the church, the dead in Christ are going to be raised, the living are going to be raptured. That is our blessed hope, and no circumstance that happens in this lifetime can take away my blessed hope in Christ. The fact that I'm going to encounter the Antichrist or difficulty does not nullify the fact that I have a blessed hope. And the fact that I know that there are difficulties out there does not keep me from looking for the blessed hope, Jesus' return. That supersedes all the difficulties in life. A student who is about to graduate from the university does not stop looking toward his graduation because he's got to take a final exam first. And I, I find it absolutely without biblical uh, basis or logic to suggest that because we're going to encounter the Antichrist, we can't be looking toward Christ's coming. Okay. Paul looked toward Christ's coming. Peter looked toward Christ's coming, and I looked toward Christ's coming. And the fact that there are difficulties that precede it do not negate it. Okay, Dave, take some Paul, time. Paul and Peter both knew that they were going to die before Christ came. Uh, Paul said, after my departing, I already quoted that verse from Acts 20, shall grievous wolves enter in, not sparing the flock. He said to Timothy, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith, and so forth. Uh, I think uh, you've you got a little semantic difficulty here, Marvin, when you talk about, well, a, a guy could be a freshman or whatever, and he's still looking forward to his graduation. He is not expecting, and he's not watching and waiting for it. And I think that the, the language there in Scripture, and to wait for his son from heaven. I don't go down to the airport today and wait for Aunt Jane if she says she's not coming until Christmas. Sure, I can have the knowledge that she's coming, but I think the Bible uh, talks about it uh, more imminently than that. Uh, furthermore, I think one of the... One of my greatest problems with this teaching, uh, Marvin, would be, I think, a post-anything, post-antichrist, post-tribulation, whatever it may be, I think it robs us of a tremendous moral uh, uh, motivation for living for Christ, for witnessing for Christ, and I find it significant that Christ always associated the thought of delay with evil. He said, and what, and if that wicked servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming. And I know that that's not your intention, but I'm concerned that the thought that, well, he's not going to come until after the Antichrist, he's not going to come until after Great Tribulation or whatever, I think that that takes the edge off of my expectancy and of the motivation for living for Christ, for witnessing for him, which I think is one of the great uh, powers of the pre-tribulation rapture, the imminency uh, teaching. And I don't want to see that lost, as, as well as I think that there are reasons for it. Uh, it's the only way to reconcile these seeming contradictions, but you're not admitting there are contradictions. Hey, but gentlemen, we're down to about a minute and a half yeah. today, Marvin. I, I'm, not, I'm not admitting to contradictions because he hasn't raised any, and he hasn't said, said one word that substantiates pre-tribulation rapturism in this discussion. Hell, he just said that Paul knew he was going to die before the Lord came. Well, he's citing scriptures that occur immediately before his death when he's waiting to be executed. But if you look at Paul's 
statement in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before uh, those who are asleep. There are other verses that make it very clear that as P Paul was ministering, he believed very clearly that he could have been among those who would be raptured. Now, I have in front of me... I have in front of me about 20 verses that speak about waiting for, waiting eagerly, expecting, being sober, being self-controlled, free from ex excess. There's not one verse of Scripture that teaches that the rapture is going to be uh, imminent. It teaches it will be expected. It can happen in my lifetime, but it does not teach that it's going to be imminent. Contrary... If you look at First Thessalonians chapter one, Marvin, let, let Dave grab thirty seconds here because we're going to be out of it in a sec. Yeah, he said we had a minute and a half, Marvin. You've taken more than that time. I did too. I certainly did give you many contradictions. He's coming to a time of peace. Coming to a time of war. He's coming to a time when all would slumber and sleep. He's coming to a time when you wouldn't expect him. No, he's coming at a time when you would, ex you couldn't expect anything else. He's coming at a time when they say peace and safety. That doesn't jive with the scenario that you laid out. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Marvin. Um, we'll pick this debate up tomorrow, by the way, for people who are uh, listening today. We've had Marvin Rosenthal from Zion's Hope. Dave Hunt, of course, is also known as an author in his own right. Latest book, Global Peace and the Rise of Antichrist. Dave led off yesterday with an affirmation or a statement as to why he believed that pre-trib was important. I would like to have Marvin kick off today with a brief statement as to why um, pre-wrath is probably a more selectable view in terms of uh, eschatology. Well, I think it's, it's more selectable. I don't want to sound overly simplistic, but because I think that's what the Bible teaches, and I think uh, all of us who love the Lord want to uh, be directed by what the Scriptures say. That's why we search the Scriptures. But in, in uh, practical terms, it would be my conviction that if the Church is taught if the church believes, is the, if the church is convinced that it is not going to enter what is commonly called the tribulation period, but I might say which has no biblical justification for that designation, if it believes it's going to be exempted from the emergence of the Antichrist, from the solicitation to submit to his mark, from the difficulties that are associated with that, if it thinks it's out of here before things really get tough, then when, in fact, the church enters the 70th week, she will be caught off guard. She'll be caught by surprise. Uh, she'll, be, she'll, she'll question her faith concerning uh, what she'd been taught with regard to the rapture and therefore other areas of theology as well. Since we know that uh, false prophets are going to arise, false Christs, I would suggest that they would be uh, very prone to be misled by this kind of uh, deception. You cannot train an army if you tell the army that they're reservists in the sense that they're not going to be here when the major campaign erupts and uh, to me to tell the church that you won't be here when the difficult times arise in the seventh week and the antichrist arises uh... It, it will be a spiritual pearl harbor all right dave flip side to that yeah well that's an appealing argument <clears throat> uh... not going to be here during the tough times but there have been people who faced an awful lot of tough times and uh, Marvin calls it uh, the great battle, but uh, he really doesn't have biblical justification for that. In fact, the scripture says, Revelation 13, that it's going to be a very one-sided battle, that the Antichrist is given authority to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And I don't think you can do that. I think these are tribulation saints who have not refused the love of the truth and have come to Christ during that period of time. He says that uh, the church would be likely 
that doesn't think it's going to face the Antichrist would be likely to be deceived by false Christ then that Christ warned, or maybe even think the Antichrist is Christ. But there's a big difference between we will be caught up together with them, and I warn people about this all the time because there are groups out there who, contrary to what Marvin or I, either one of us would, would, uh, would teach, they're saying that the church has to take over the world, and then Christ will return, not to take us out of here, but to rule over the kingdom we've established. Those are the false Christs, and I, no Christian that's expecting the rapture would be deceived by a Christ who's, you know, meets you with your feet planted on planet Earth when you're expecting to be taken into the air. But, of course, the question is, what does the Bible teach? You know, I, you know um, Marvin has a persuasive argument. If this is wrong, then we might be unprepared, but uh, I think the Bible teaches the contrary. Okay, you raised an excellent point, Dave. We were talking about it just before airtime, and that is, how can you develop an argument from ground scriptures? Most of these rapture debates always wind up in some sky castle somewhere on secondary levels, if you understand my meaning. Mm. How would you develop your argument saying, we're not disagreeing about a rapture, we're simply disagreeing about the timing? Right. So how would you develop your argument as to the timing? Okay, let me, uh, because I didn't really get into this yesterday, what evidence is from Scripture for a pre-trib rapture? I think I mentioned yesterday Daniel's 70 weeks. Uh, Marvin mentioned them also. He talks about them a great deal in his book. The last week, 69 weeks have come and gone up to the death of Christ. The last week has been held in the band. <clears throat> what caused that to happen? The, the formation of the church. The presence of the church on this earth, I believe, prevents that 70th week from beginning to run again. And I think that which prevents it, uh, the church, which caused this delay, must be removed. Furthermore, Second Thessalonians uh, says someone is hindering, you know, in keeping with what I just said. Someone is hindering the revealing of the Antichrist. I don't know what, I'd like to know what Marvin thinks that is. What hinders this? I believe, consistent with, with the, this 70th week, that it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and this must be removed. Furthermore, if the church were present, we would oppose and expose the Antichrist. Uh, and moreover, all those, it doesn't say just a few. Marvin indicates, you know, he says, well, Satan can only, the Antichrist can only do what, what God allows him to do. It clearly says that he has given authority to make war with the saints to overcome them. And it says that, I'm quoting from Revelation 13, as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So it doesn't seem to me that uh, there would be many people left around to rapture, uh, if, if, if that's the case. Now, I've got a few other arguments, but let me turn it back to Marvin. Yeah, let me, uh, let me respond uh, first by saying uh, I said that uh, if the church entered the 70th week to confront the Antichrist, it would be the great spiritual battle of history. And uh, you said there's no evidence for that. I would simply suggest to you that the Lord himself in Matthew chapter 24, in describing the great tribulation which begins in the middle of the 70th week, uh, calls it the great tribulation and says it's, it's, it's of such severity that unless those days of great tribulation were shortened, no flesh would even survive, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And we could discuss the concept of the elect, but it is normally used uh, for the church. And now with regard to uh, the 70th week, uh, most certainly I believe in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, and that uh, God has decreed 70 weeks for Israel. 
And I understand that after the 69th week, Messiah would be cut off or he would die for the sins of the world. In Acts chapter 2, the church would be established. And when God uh, is done with the church, he will rapture her. But I would remind you that after the church was established in Acts chapter 2, there was a transition period, and every pre-tribulation rapturist that I know of who has written on the subject would acknowledge that the book of Acts was a book of transition from the old economy to the new economy, and a Jew who was saved in the old economy, that is, he was faithful to God, and we would say he was regenerated, or, or one who was going to go to be with God, did not cease that relationship after uh, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There was a period of transition, probably until the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Likewise, the fact that God begins to deal with Israel in the 70th week does not negate the fact that the church would go into that period of time. Uh, secondly, with regard to the, the uh, hinderer of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, to suggest that that is the Holy Spirit, which is commonly done, is simply filled full with problems. Uh, first of all, the the restrainer in Second Thessalonians 2 is never identified as the Holy Spirit, nor does the Holy Spirit have a direct restraining uh, sin ministry in Thessalonians or anywhere in the Bible. Uh, secondly, the expression, until he be taken out of the way, literally in the Greek, would be translated, become out of the midst, more literally, out of the middle. And the idea is that the restrainer is standing in the middle for the moment, whoever he may be, and at the appointed time, according to Lenski, a great Greek scholar, he's simply going to get out of the way. It says nothing whatever about the restrainer going to heaven or taking the church uh, with him. Okay, we're up for a break now, gentlemen. Uh, we'll let Dave come back, and I do have a question that you could probably think about as we go into the break. Uh, Marvin raised a valid point, and that is the restrainer is often identified as the Holy Spirit. If it is the Holy Spirit, how do people get saved after the rapture? I think it's a valid question. I've never heard a pre-tripper answer. Steel on Steel, debating with Dave Hunt and uh, Marvin Rosenthal today. Pre-wrath versus pre-trib, and as always, assuming everything goes right, and the Lord willing, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, we're back into Steel on Steel here without wasting any time. We're doing a debate today between uh, Dave Hunt and Marvin Rosenthal over pre-trib versus pre-wrath. Dave Hunt is taking the pre-trib position. Marvin Rosenthal, pre-wrath. Dave, it's your turn. You're up. Yeah, you asked a question. You said you never heard a pre-tribber answer. <laughs> well, I've dealt with it a number of times. Uh, in my earlier comment here, when I began, I was very specific in saying I believe that the Holy Spirit in the believers in the church. Uh, you don't take, you don't remove the Holy Spirit. You don't remove God. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Uh, but the Holy Spirit in the believers would be taken away. I believe He through us is restraining. Uh, in, in this world. Now, we have to face the question, who is this restrainer? And just to say somebody's standing in the midst, I mean, how long has he been standing in the midst? Paul said, he who now restrains, <clears throat> or he who now hinders, will hinder until he's taken out of the way. So whoever it is, he's been here for 1,900 years, because whoever it is that was restraining in Paul's time is still restraining and will continue to restrain until he's taken out of the way. It sounds to me like it's longer than the life of any human being, I, it must be the Holy Spirit indwelling the believers, and I think it's consistent uh, with, the, with the teaching of uh, Daniel's 70th week. Uh, to say that the great, you know, I said there's no indication that this is the, the great battle for the church. Uh, Marvin says, well, it's a great tribulation. I don't deny that. It's great tribulation such as never was and never shall be, but that doesn't say 
that it's a great battle. Tribulation isn't, isn't necessarily a battle, or a battle for God, or a battle for the faith. And as far as the elect always being uh, the church, I don't think that's the case. God speaks of his elect. Israel is mine elect as well. Uh, so it's very possible, and I think that that's who it is, there in uh, Matthew 24, he'll send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds. I believe those are the Jewish believers who are not yet back in, in Israel, who at the Armageddon, when Christ returns, they will be brought back to Israel. I think it's a consistent teaching. Marvin, do you have a response here? I'm going yeah. to take a question. <clears throat> First of all, uh, I, I, I didn't say and I don't believe that, uh, that the elect always refers to the church but is used frequently of the church and a major problem that pre-tribulation rapturists have is that in Matthew chapter four, 24 you have a reference to the elect unless those days would be shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake now if that does not refer to the church why is the church not there uh, I, I raised the question yesterday and I would raise it again that uh, very fundamentally we are told that the, the the rapture of the church is going to take place at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples said, What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And if you, if you compare Revelation chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 24, uh, in connection with the sixth seal and cosmic disturbance, which is precisely what the Old Testament writers and New Testament writers said would occur before the wrath of God was to be poured out, you will read very clearly uh, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can exegetically, biblically, say that the church in Matthew chapter 24 uh, goes into this seventh week and will be there at Christ's coming. Now, for the pre-trib rapturists, not wanting to have the church in Matthew 24, they sometimes say, well, Matthew is the Jewish gospel. Problem with that is you have the same truth set forth in Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, and they're not Jewish gospels. Uh, it is sometimes argued, well, the church didn't get started until Acts chapter 2, and therefore you couldn't have him talking about the rapture, which is church truth. The problem with that is in John chapter 14, which was taught by the Lord only two days after he taught Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, he gave us one of the major rapture texts when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye will be also, uh, every pre-trib rapturist that I know of says that's a rapture text taught by the Lord to the disciples two days after he taught Matthew 24. There is no basis for exempting the church from Matthew 24, and if that's the case, then the church goes into the seventh week to experience rapture. Yeah, <clears throat> Marvin, I don't take that position, you know, that this is only a Jewish and so forth. I believe you've got both in, in Matthew 24 and in the, all of the discourse. But as I tried to say yesterday... Uh, I think we got some serious uh, seeming contradictions that I think we have to face uh, and that demand two comings. Uh, and I tried to say yesterday, you couldn't find it in the Old Testament that there should be two comings. The only way you would know there had to be two comings of the Messiah would be because you couldn't possibly put into one event in one time frame what the Old Testament said about him. Yet, <clears throat> even... Spiritual. I mean, the greatest of all the prophets. There's not been a prophet born of, of, of women greater than John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, who definitely knew his calling to present Jesus to, to uh, Israel, and yet he came to doubt. 
that, that this was the, really the Messiah. And the reason he doubted was he didn't understand that there were two comings. He, he was in prison about to get his head cut off. It didn't compute. If Christ is going to rule on the throne of his father David, what's he doing in prison about to get his head cut off? So all I'm saying is that w there are the same seeming contradictions. They're not contradictions if you recognize that there are two comings, and they're involved uh, in the second coming of Christ. Uh, now, let me just give you an example. Now, just one more reason why I say that it must come, the rapture must come at the beginning of the seven years. Otherwise, we have a serious contradiction. Because the conditions that prevail at the coming of Christ uh, could not possibly prevail after, uh, after these, uh, these events begin. For example, on page 19, Marvin, you say, quote, uh, what the Lord is teaching, you're referring to uh, in the days as it was in the days of Noah. You say what the Lord is teaching is that men will be going about their normal activities, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, the most basic things of life, with no sense of impending judgment, with no awareness that deity is about to visit humanity in judgment. According to the Lord, they quote, knew not until the flood came. I'm that's end of what I'm quoting you from page 19. I say. It's incredible that after the five seals of Revelation 6, war, famine, pestilence, such as the world has never seen, 25% of the population has been killed by sword, hunger, death, and beasts of the earth, it tells us. And a great earthquake comes, the sun is darkened, and so forth. Men are crying down to the rocks to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. And, and you say that the day of the Lord hasn't quite yet come, but it's about to come, that, that they wouldn't know it, that it could overtake them like a thief, and that, and that they would still be parting it up like in normal conditions before the flood, I say that's not possible. Therefore, I say the conditions that Christ describes couldn't possibly take place uh, in this context, and therefore he must come at the beginning uh, of the seven years. Okay, John? Yes. Okay, he took a pretty good amount of time, so I'm going to reciprocate. Fine. Uh, first of all, he said yesterday that in the Old Testament, there was no teaching of two comings. They couldn't fully comprehend the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. I answered it yesterday. Let me answer it again today. That was a preliminary revelation from God. It was the Old Covenant. It was the Old Testament. It was partial. There was the promise of a new covenant and further revelation. We now have a completed revelation of God, so we can know these things. The Old Testament was not a completed revelation. Now, secondly, with regard, uh, he, he, was, he was trying to make a point yesterday. He's trying to make the same point again today. The fact of the matter is, if you read Matthew chapter 24, and uh, you, you get to, uh, to verse 32, he says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When certain things happen to the fig tree, you know that summer is getting close. When its branches get tender, when it put for, puts forth leaves, you know that summer's getting close. He then makes the point. Likewise, and you see these things come to pass that I've told you about, you know that my return is getting close. He then goes on to say, but what you don't know in verse 36 is the day or the hour of my return. You will know, if you are a discerning believer, the general time period. What you will not know if you've entered the 70th week is the hour or the day. It is because of that very teaching that he goes on to give four warnings. The first warning is for watchfulness in Matthew 24, 42 to 44. Make sure if you know your house is going to be robbed, you're going to make sure that you're watching. 
He then talks about faithfulness. Make sure you're being faithful in Matthew 24, 45 through 51. Uh, make sure you're not partying. Make sure you're staying faithful. He gives a third warning in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It's the warning with regard to the ten virgins. Five have oil, five do not. Five are prepared, five are not prepared. And then he gives the fourth warning, make sure you're being fruitful in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Not that they didn't know that the return of the Lord was getting close. They did. They would know that because of the very events that are transpiring in Matthew 24 and to which the Lord alludes. What they did not know was the hour or the day, and the Lord would come as a thief in the night for those who were not ready. Do I have a minute or two? Yeah, you have uh, quite some time there, Dave. Go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Marvin, we don't seem to connect on this one. But uh, the warnings that he gives would hardly be necessary if all of these events were taking place, my gracious. I mean, you said yesterday, well, it was the unspiritual who wouldn't recognize. You don't have to be very spiritual to recognize all of these incredible things. 25% of the world is killed, famine and pestilence and, and, and signs in the sky, the, the sun and the moon darkened and, and so forth. What he's, what he's saying, in fact, is, what I, and what I'm trying to say is that the conditions that will prevail upon this earth at the time of his return. And, and, and it couldn't possibly be at the end of, at, end of Armageddon, so you gotta, it can't be then. You've got to have two comings, I believe, one at the beginning and one at the end of the seven years. Give me a verse of Scripture what, for that. What? Please, give, Ma give me Marvin, any inference at all to that. Ma Marvin, uh, that's exactly what I've tried to say, is... The Old Testament, you will not find a verse that says there will be two comings. But even you yesterday said they were both there. We knew that he would be the suffering servant. We knew he would be the reigning king. All I'm saying is the same thing it prevails in the New Testament. It doesn't say specifically there will be two comings. But you cannot put into one event and one time frame what it says. But let me, let me just finish. <clears throat> what he's saying is that the, the conditions... That would prevail. Why does he warn them to watch and wait? Because he says the conditions that would prevail on the earth at the time would be like in the days of Noah. They're parting up, they're eating and drinking. It, you yourself say eating and drinking was not parting up. Marvin, just a minute. I don't interrupt you. You yourself say, and I just quoted you from two from page two nineteen, that conditions would be normal upon this earth. I'm simply saying that is a contradiction. That does not jive with all the events that have happened on, on the earth. And, and I needn't say it again, destruction, war, famine, pestilence, and so forth. So all I'm saying is that there are some contradictions. That's what I tried to say yesterday, seeming contradictions, and that they can only be reconciled if you recognize there's a difference between God's dealing with the church and with Israel. He comes first for his saints, for the church, takes them home to heaven. He comes later with his saints for Israel. And one happens at the beginning of the seven years and the other at the end. I don't think you can reconcile it any other way. Well, uh, you're the only one that I know of that sees these kind of contradictions. I don't even know that other pre-tribs make these kind of arguments, and you're certainly not convincing me of any kind of contradictions. Uh, now, with regard to, uh, to Matthew chapter 13, uh, which gives a series of parables, in Matthew chapter 13, one of the parables has to do with the weed and the tears. And he says that uh, that will, will uh, refer to the righteous and the unrighteous who will dwell together on the earth until the end of the age. And at the final harvest, the righteous and the unrighteous will be separated. That's clearly set forth in Matthew chapter 13.
the end of the age is the final harvest, when the righteous and the unrighteous will be separated. Uh, you go over to uh, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission to the Church. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to every creature, and I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So in, in Matthew 13, the righteous and the unrighteous will dwell together. There will be harvesting, separation at the end of the age, Matthew 28. The, the Lord will be with the church until the end of the age. Now I go to Matthew chapter 24, and I'm deliberately staying in one uh, pivotal place. Uh, they ask what to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. He begins to describe the 70th week. He gets to verse 6, and he says you're going to hear wars, rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. He gets to verse 13, and he says this gospel of the kingdom is going to pre be preached in all the world, and the end will then come. At the end is the separation of the righteous. The church is here till the end of the age. And in Matthew 24, the end of the age is in the 70th week. That is exegetical evidence that the church has to go into the 70th week. Marvin, you can try me. to sidestep it if you want, but that's what the Bible teaches. Second Thessalonians, because it applies to exactly what you were talking about before the break, in which uh, Paul says we don't want you to be concerned about the coming of our Lord and our being gathered to him, and then he lays two conditions that have to happen. How do you see that fitting into your plan? Yeah, um, just give me about one minute to go back and deal with this because Marvin keeps saying that I don't present any contradictions. I don't know how I could present contradictions any stronger. When they say peace and safety at such an hour as you think not, I'm coming. I mean, you're going to sit down and look at conditions in the world and you're going to say, I don't think he'd come now, as it was in the days of Noah. They're eating and drinking, and Marvin himself says on page 219, it's business as usual. Now, how in the world that could be at the end of Revelation 6, where he puts it, when you have these five seals uh, that, are, that are out there, the, uh, the, the, the third seal, famine, the fourth seal, behold a pale horse, his name that sat on him was death and hell, followed him, power was given over the fourth part of the earth to kill the sword and so forth. Then you go down in verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great and so forth, they're hiding themselves in the dens of the rocks and mountains. There's been a great earthquake. The, the sun is darkened. How you could reconcile that and say, well, that's just business as usual. You wouldn't possibly think that Christ was coming. Uh, I'm saying that's a contradiction. Now, maybe I've taken my time and you want me to come back later for the other one. No, keep going, keep going. That's okay. Now, it says in verse 3, that day, and I believe when he says, uh, I beseech you by the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto him, I think these are two events. Because we know Christ is coming at Armageddon, and that certainly those, those conditions couldn't prevail then, as it was in the days of Noah and so forth. Then there must be another part of this coming. Uh, and I believe that that's our gathering together unto him, the rapture. Then he says, that won't happen except there come an apostasy. Now, I say there's no signs for the rapture, nothing prevents it, because, in fact, the apostasy was already in Paul's day. How bad it had to get, I don't know. It doesn't say that. The apostasy comes, and then the, the man of sin is revealed. Now, by the way, Marvin has the opposite. He has the, the man of sin being revealed, and then he, when he makes a pact with Israel, he says this is Israel's great apostasy, and he says the apostasy has to do with Israel, not the church. But anyway, uh, then it, it, it sounds like the Antichrist must be revealed, but it goes on and explains it and says, you know what prevents him from being revealed in his time. And so I believe because it deals specifically with that, Paul is coming back and telling us he doesn't have to be revealed before, but in fact the church must be removed before he can be revealed.
That was good. I like that. <laughs> Marvin, any comments? Yeah. Uh, first of all, let me uh, very briefly address uh, his his uh, first comments. He talked about uh, uh, in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that he entered the flood. Uh, the whole point of that by the Lord in Matthew chapter 24 is that they were eating. That is not a party. It does not talk about being gluttonous. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were giving in marriage. The point is... A preacher of righteousness had preached for 120 years, and he said, get into the ark, judgment is coming. Get into the ark, judgment is coming. Get into the ark, judgment is coming. And other than eight souls, Noah, his wife, three sons, and three daughters-in-law, uh, the point is the people did not listen to the message. They kept doing whatever it was they were doing with no concept of impending divine judgment. Now, the Lord uses that in Matthew 24 and says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The great mass of humanity will have no awareness whatever, has nothing to do with the fact that there are difficult days on the earth, that, that there are terrible things that are occurring. The world will not understand that deity is about to invade humanity. Now with regard to peace and safety, when they say peace and safety, in the middle of the 70th week, what we call the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist places an image of himself in the rebuilt temple, asks people to bow down and worship, to give him their allegiance. Uh, there's going to be great persecution and martyrdom by many who will not do that. People will be fleeing. He will seek to, to spread his power base worldwide, and he will become a world ruler. And the, the, the hostilities and the persecution will stop when he becomes a world ruler. Men will say, peace, safety. When they say that and think, ah, we're over this difficult time, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a woman in travail so that they will not escape. There is no contradiction there except in Dave Hunt's mind, not biblically. With regard to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, in the very cl clearest possible way, it says there are two things that must occur before the day of the Lord commences. Those two things are there must be an apostasy, and the second thing is the man of sin must be revealed. Nothing could be clearer than that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. If the day of the Lord begins at the beginning of the 70th week, then you must have the apostasy before that, but you must also have the emergence of the Antichrist or the man of sin. Uh, clearly, uh, these are events that happen inside of the 70th week. Dave said, I said that the, the Israel's great apostasy starts in the middle of the 70th week. No, it begins when they enter into a covenant with the Antichrist, called in the Bible the covenant with death. It I will think. reach its apex in the middle of the 70th week when many will bow down to a false Christ. Um, let me just make one brief comment again. It's not, I'm not just hanging it on as it was in the days of Noah. Jesus warns his disciples. He specifically said to them, At such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He's telling them, I'm going to come at a time which if you sat down and looked at the conditions of the world around you, you wouldn't think I'm coming. I mean, I don't, I don't see how that could be the conditions that would prevail when you say he's coming at the end of chapter uh, uh, 6 there. Um, he warns, and you say this is a parable, but you also used a parable. He warns even the five wise would slumber and sleep. I don't see anybody slumbering and sleeping in the middle of Armageddon for a post-trib rapture, and I certainly don't see them slumbering and sleeping at this time, and I just can't believe that these, uh, after all of 
the destruction that's happened on this earth, that this is business as usual as it was in the days of Noah. It's not just that they didn't heed, but he's talking about the prosperity, the, the commerce, everything that's happening on the earth. You, you know, if, if I'm just listening to both of you now, you're, you're locked in a circle now. Yeah, right, because we can't get this point some, across, so maybe we better go on. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I, I, just observing it, I, I think at the same time, you may not see it, but you're both shooting yourselves in the foot, because if you allow for contradictions, and you could allow... Uh, let me grab one of your points, Dave, and say that um, if people are still see all these cosmic things, they could actually still not be expecting the coming of the Lord. Two things could be going on. And even, indeed, it says that uh, the, the evil people will be uh, fornicating and witchcraft and everything, and it's pretty much business as usual. Uh, e even during wartime, business goes on as usual to a certain degree, unless it's totally disrupted. That's just a point. I'm not siding with anyone inside of the argument. It's not only the evil people. He says at such, to his disciples, at such an hour as you think not, as the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. I'm just saying you can't put that in that context. Okay, uh, I understand. Wait, 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 wait. hold oh. on, John. <laughs> uh, nobody's shooting anybody in the feet. Uh, there are no contradictions with regard to what the Word of God has to say in terms of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Dave keeps going back to Matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the ten virgins. That, number one, is a parable and it is simply saying that they don't know the hour or the day of the Lord's return, and there are five who have oil in the lamp, probably a type of the Holy Spirit, meaning they've been regenerated, and five who do not have oil in the lamp. It has nothing whatever to do with whether there are difficulties going on or not difficulties. It has nothing to do with sleeping in the sense of insensitivity to the problems that are going on around about them. That's beside the point. That's not what it's dealing with. And, and with regard, and with regard to, to Noah, the point is they are oblivious to impending divine judgment, not that they are not difficult days. They're eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. The point is, whatever they were doing, they keep on doing it with no awareness that deity is about to invade humanity, just as he did in the days of Noah. Byron, you have a great knack of just pulling out of something what you want. It says, as the bride, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. All I'm saying is, I don't think that's descriptive of the middle of Armageddon, and I don't think it's descriptive after all these judgments have been poured out upon this earth either. That's all I'm saying. And I think that there are contradictions. He comes at a time of war. He comes at a time of peace. He comes at a time of prosperity. He comes at a time of, of, of destruction and famine. And, and I believe that there have to be two comings. Uh, just as there had to be two comings in the Old Testament, you can't put into one time frame and one event what the New Testament says about the return of Jesus Christ. And well, I've said that and reset it, and you argued it back, so maybe we ought to move on to something else. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think we should, and, and uh, you keep saying it, but you really aren't making a point, and it's conspicuous that you may have, you may have looked at a few uh, texts in my book, but you didn't read it, or you wouldn't have made that kind of a statement. I have a whole in-depth chapter dealing with the coming or the uh, parousia, and uh, if you would like me, I'll give you quotes. Excuse me, Marvin, uh, we're at a break right now. Sorry about that. Uh, steel on Steel, Marvin Rosenthal, Dave Hunt, pre-wrath versus pre-trip. Back for the last part in just a minute. Back into Steel on Steel, last part of our debate today, pre-wrath versus pre-trib, pre-trib versus pre-wrath. promise not to say very much. I did want to address the question sometime in the last 15 minutes here of what happens if each of your views is incorrect. What are the impacts? But Marvin, you wanted to respond to Dave, and Dave has some things to say to Marvin. 
Uh, yes, we, we were just uh, broaching the subject with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are four words that are used in the New Testament to translate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and without getting uh, technical with regard to them, uh, one of the words is uh, apocalypse, which simply means a coming or a revelation. Uh, another one of the words is erkamai, which simply means coming. A third word is epiphania, which means uh, basically an appearing. There are three words that are sometimes used in describing the Lord's coming. But the major word, the basic word, is the word parousia. Uh, concerning that particular word, Abbot Smith says the coming is very interesting. In classical Greek, it had more the meaning of presence than arrival. And uh, the expository dictionary of New Testament words says that it comes from two words, uh, meaning presence and being. And it denotes both a coming and a consequent presence with. With regard to this word, coming, there is not two comings. It is one coming, but it is not instantaneous. It is a process. The word coming means a, the word parousia means a coming and a presence. Of the 17 times that the word is used in connection with the return of Christ, it is always, without exception, used in the singular and always with a definite article or a personal pronoun. It is the coming or thy coming or his coming. Not once does the Bible speak of two comings, not even a hint or an implication. It can be demonstrated, I will say it again, that Christ's coming occurs after the middle of the 70th week, Matthew 24, 27. In no coming text can it be demonstrated that the coming occurs pre-70th week. When the coming occurs, it will have among its major purposes the rapture of the righteous and the day of the Lord judgment of the wicked. And it is, it is a presence and an arrival. It takes a period of time. It is a process which allows for the things that Dave keeps referring to that seems to be contradictory. This does not happen in one instant. There will be a process associated with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His presence or glory will be manifested in the heavens at first, so men will know of the divine presence. Right, Dave? Yeah, well, Marvin, I wouldn't argue with, with all of this Greek. So, uh, in your book, you even have, you say a process. That's correct. You even have a separate, I, I mean, first you have the rapture, whenever you put that rapture. That's right. At the beginning of the day of wrath. And you say, uh, I'm quoting from page 113, Christ begins his physical return to earth. And then some, so you got him catching the church up, then later on, I don't know, how, maybe you tell me, would you tell me how much later on? I, I can't tell you later on because I don't know the duration yeah. uh, of the fifth seal yeah. and the sixth seal. What I can tell you is that it's a process that begins with the snatching up of the, of the church and then the outpouring of the trumpets and the bowls, yeah. ultimately concluding with the Lord's mm -hmm. physical touchdown to the earth. So it's not an instantaneous thing. The Word doesn't say it's an instantaneous thing. It's a process that incorporates Armageddon yeah. and the other things right. that you refer to. But it's one coming that begins after the middle of the 70th week. Okay, well then, see, maybe we have a semantic problem. We're stumbling over this me saying two comings, all right? Well then, let's say it's a process. Why can't that process take seven years instead of seven months or however however long you think it takes? Because well, it, it could take seven months or seven years, except the Bible says that the coming occurs uh, in connection with the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord will begin after the cosmic disturbance right. of Revelation 6. As okay. a matter of fact, Revelation 6 says, His wrath is now come. Well, that's another 
problem that I have, Marvin, is your treatment of the day of the Lord. Uh, you state that it is only a time of wrath, but there are a lot of verses that indicate that the day of the Lord includes much blessing, the millennium, uh, the early chapters of Isaiah, Zechariah 14, for example. Furthermore, Peter tells us that the day of the Lord will involve the entire universe being burned up and passing away, and a new one will come into its place. And you say, no, that's something that happens uh, within these within this seven years, uh, and just to, to open up the millennium. But that's not consistent with Scripture. We're, a new cre we're new creatures in Christ. We're a new creation. There's going to be a whole new universe. Uh, you say, well, um, it was, you know, the flood... Uh, only destroyed this earth. But Peter says, as the world was before was destroyed by water, so the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. You Somehow you've got to confine this day of the Lord to a very small area. And I don't believe that that's consistent with Scripture at all. Uh, not Certainly not consistent with what Peter says. I think the whole universe is going to be wiped out. And you don't mean a new heavens and a new earth in the book of Revelation until after the final judgment, after the millennium, the, the final rebellion, and so forth. And now we have the new heavens and the new earth, and it's a place of righteousness. It's a place into which wickedness and rebellion will never enter. And that doesn't fit with your scenario of the day of the Lord. Okay, a, a quick response. Uh, first of all, you said that the day of the Lord is both a time of judgment and blessing, and you said there are all kinds of scriptures that substantiate that. I will simply read to you from Amos chapter 5, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and the serpent, serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? I would simply say to you that uh, Richard Mayhew, who is a pre-tribulation rapturist, uh, who is uh, connected with the, with the faculty at Master's College and Seminary out in California, who did his doctoral dissertation on the Day of the Lord, says the Day of the Lord starts in the middle of the 70th week or beyond. John Sprawl, who was the head of the, uh, the Greek Department and New Testament Theology at Grace Seminary, did a book entitled In Defense of Pre-Tribulationism, nonetheless acknowledged that the Day of the Lord starts in the middle of the 70th week or Beyond Paul Feinberg at, ev at Evangelical Seminary uh, in Illinois says that he's a pre-trib. We have to admit that the day of the Lord starts in the middle or beyond the 70th week. I have correspondence, personal correspondence from John MacArthur, who has acknowledged that the day of the Lord starts in the middle or beyond the middle of the 70th week. There is overwhelming evidence that the day of the Lord starts sometime in the second half of the 70th week of the book of Daniel. That's the wrath of God. And what the church is kept from is the wrath of God. And there are no verses that say there is blessing associated with the millennium. All you have to do in front of the radio audience is open your Bible and show us blessing connected with the day of the Lord. Okay, that's exactly what I'm going to do, Marvin. Let's do it. I've got, we'll just take one verse, and I mean one scripture, and there are others. Zechariah 14 begins, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Where, where are we at? Zechariah, Zechariah 14. 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem battle, and so forth. And, and come to pass in that day the light, verse 6, shall not be clear nor dark, and so forth, and so on. 
Verse 8, in that day, living waters will go out from Jerusalem. That's the millennium. <clears throat> of course That's it is. That's the description of the millennium, of not course the day of the Lord. Lord. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Marvin. It says, in that day. It's talking about, it's beginning with the day of the Lord. Now, you're making an interpretation. I'm simply taking, well, let me finish. I'm simply taking what the Bible says. It begins talking about the day of the Lord, and it goes on, and it says, in that day. It's referring to the day of the Lord. Now, if you're going to say it's referring to some other day, that's your problem. That's your interpretation. Verse 9, the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. There shall be one. Verse 20, in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and so forth. I, you know, you're going to have to come up with a, uh, an exegesis that says it's not referring to the day of the Lord. Uh, I don't think that's, that's possible. You I mean, will excuse possible, me, but every pre-trib I know will say that that is a description inside of the millennium. Of course you can is. talk about in that day with regard to the millennium, but in, in day of the Lord context, there is never, there, there's simply, I, I, I have to read, or I take a second, a, a compendium from the prophet's description of the day of the Lord reveals the following. It will be a time when God ariseth to shake terribly the earth, Isaiah 2. A time of destruction from the Almighty, Isaiah 13. A time of divine wrath and fierce anger, Isaiah 13. A time when God will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity, Isaiah 13:11. A time when God's indignation and fury will be directed against the nations, Isaiah 34. Marvin, you know what? We're down to about a minute, and I need closing statements, and I apologize. Yeah. Well, let me just go back and say, he begins with Isaiah 2. Let me read you from Isaiah 2. It's all about the day of the Lord. And it says, And the, and the law will go forth from Jerusalem, and, and the Lord will judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, so forth and so on. Now, if you're going to say, oh, well, wait a minute, that's referring to the millennium, it is in the context of the day of the Lord. It follows the day of the Lord. It's subsequent to and a result of the day of the Lord. It is not part of the day of the Lord. There's no text anywhere in the Bible that says there'll be blessing during the day of the Lord. Well, I yeah. just read them to you, Marvin. No, you sure. didn't. That's, you read verses from the millennium. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, we need, in the same context. But we need yeah. closing statements, yeah. too. Go ahead, uh, Marvin. Go ahead, Marvin. I would simply say that very, very clearly the Bible teaches that the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the earth, that the wrath of God is going to start following cosmic disturbance. It's going to, it's going to occur the day of the Lord uh, after Elijah uh, begins his ministry based on Malachi chapter 4. We're told in Revelation 6 that his wrath has come. You have 144,000 who will be sealed in Revelation chapter 7, sealed so they don't experience uh, the wrath of God. In Revelation 7, you'll also have a great multitude from every kindred, tongue, and tribe who are in heaven, who I take it are the raptured believers before God's wrath is going to be poured out. You also have the fact that... Uh, okay, I need to go uh, over to Dave. I'm sorry, we're just totally crunched on time here. Yeah, Marvin, I think your thesis has us. We'd have to look for the Antichrist before Christ could come. And the Antichrist is going to have authority from God himself to make war with the saints and to kill everyone who doesn't worship the image of the beast. So you got nobody left to rapture anyway when it happens, according to your thesis.